This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Donald Fagan and Steely Dan. Must be a birthday today, Lou Rapino. Was it Donald Fagan's birthday? Yes, the crazy Donald Fagan. Oh, the great Donald Fagan. How old is he? 76. Yeah, I'm just sick of all of it. I really am. <laughs> this is not I mean, the day, boy. Oh, God. What Jimmy if... Page turned 80 yesterday. Fagan, 76 today. Everybody's close to death. And my ceiling is about to collapse. I do love Steely Dan, though. Love Steely Dan. <laughs> and i got to be in the city the next two nights in a row. Nah, tomorrow should oh. be great. Well, tonight, you know, you know, I do this. Um, we'll go to Frank in a second. I have this um, men's. Uh, it's like a men's club. I'm in. They're all my good buddies, Keith Kantrowitz. You know, you hear those uh, Power Express commercials with Mariano Rivera. That's my buddy Keith. And you have uh, Anthony Carone, who I maybe my best friend of the bunch. Love him. And uh, Big Mark, Mark Oranger, and Paul Carlucci. Sometimes Mark Simone comes. Michael Kemper, head of the transit police. There's a bunch of us, you know. And we always go to, like, a nice restaurant, Upper East Side, or Casa Cipriani. Good morning, Chad. But tonight there's a uh, a big fundraiser at Anthony Scaramucci's restaurant. And Nelson, you know, the Hunt and Fish Club. And they're raising money for this uh, local Democrat who's also a good friend of ours, Jen Rajkumar, who I don't think uh, Curtis has hung out with any time lately. <laughs> so I got this uh, dinner tonight for Jen at uh, the Hunt and Fish Club. And then tomorrow night, Danielle and I are having dinner with two people I really love, and that is Dr. Ira and Lizzie Savetsky, who we've had in studio many times, the the best voice for Israel in the United States today, besides me, is Lizzie Savetsky. So we'll have dinner with the Savetskys at a nice kosher restaurant in Midtown tomorrow night. So that puts me in the city, Louis. Tonight and tomorrow night. It's a lot. You're probably staying away from the, the, the water, that's why. Yeah. That's great. So you can come home and get uh, mad again. <laughs> that's yeah. great. So you really have buckets all over your house. Buckets. Buckets everywhere. Not all over the house, just, um, God, that was gross. Ella just sneezed. <laughs> just nothing. God, it's so gross. It. It what do you went, want me to do? It went everywhere. Uh, so I saw it. Explode inside of my head. Just like... well, the buckets are just by the uh, the dining room into the family room. Well, entrance. now we need one here. So it's <laughs> I know, elegant. I know. God. Well, let's talk to Frankie's uh, the very very talented host, a great host. Other side of midnight, dear friend of mine, the great Frank Morano. And uh, Frank, uh, you and I talked earlier this morning when you were leaving that uh, one of the stories, I guess, we were going to concentrate on this show today outside of Trump talking immunity and maybe the trouble that Lloyd Oyston may be in and all the issues with the migrants in New York City and Madison High School was back on this date, January 10th of 1999, 
25 years ago today, the very first ever episode of The Sopranos. And you know that over the years I've become very friendly with a bunch of those folks, thanks to Mike Sullivan, not my doing, his doing. So um, it's a big day for a lot of folks who watched that show, a new generation that is now watching that show, and even people like me that continue to rewatch that show. I know, Frank Morano, you feel the same way. Oh, I mean, look, I can't say that I'm friends with uh, any of the cast members, really. I do know a, a couple of them, uh, but not like uh, like you do. I'm really just an incredibly enthusiastic fan. I recently rewatched the entire series, and it's great. I went back and uh, listened to the podcast that uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa, and I've heard a lot of the great interviews you've done with Steve Sharippa on this show, and, and that's great, uh, that they did where they analyze each episode, and it's so much fun to go back and watch each episode as they go back and look and give their commentary on what was actually happening behind the scenes. I mean, there are some shows that are great in their time. You know, Friends, for instance, had such a huge following. I watched Friends when it was on. But you watch a Friends rerun now, I don't think it's aged well at all. No. I don't think it, By the it, way, it, it's even, held up it, with it, time. Even Seinfeld, you know, we, we walked past, yeah. we had to go to the Upper uh, upper West Side the other day to watch Gabe play a basketball game. So we walked past Daniel and I, Tom's restaurant by Columbia, and it brought back so many memories of the Seinfeld cast eating at that diner. That hasn't aged all that well. Uh, I, you know, I, I disagree with you on that one. I think aside from the technology, uh, so many of their issues could have been solved by mobile phones if they had them. I yeah. think the Seinfeld humor has aged uh, pretty, pretty well. But nothing has aged and proven itself as timeless as The Sopranos. And the thing about it that's amazing is it still wears well now. But people that are watching it now for the first time, and it's got a whole new generation of younger fans that weren't even alive when the show debuted 25 years ago. But the thing that's so amazing about it is that it so changed television. Back then, it was almost unheard of for a regular character to be killed in a, not even in a season finale, but just in a random week. Now, that it, it, in the era of shows like Breaking Bad and House of Cards and Better Call Saul, stuff like that happens all the time. So I don't know if people watching it for the first time now appreciate how revolutionary and how different it was at the time. There was nothing else like that on television, and uh, to me, I think it's the greatest work of popular culture Agreed. since The Godfather. I think it's better than The Godfather. I think it's the greatest work ever. In fact, uh, you're going to get mad at me, but I actually enjoyed Goodfellas more than The Godfather. So well, I, I, I'm not with you on that one. I, know, but, I, I mean, know. I'm not taking anything I away know, from Goodfellas. But, 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 but I, I get it, but you go back to the lame old generation, always The Godfather, always The Godfather. There were stretches of The Godfather. It was boring. There was nothing I... boring in Goodfellas. <laughs> nothing. Every scene between De Niro, Pesci, and Leota was unbelievable. There was no, there was no, it was slow, some of those scenes with Michael Corleone sitting there. I'm sorry. Great movie I, I, and long. I, I totally disagree. I know you I do, but, but you're wrong. You're just wrong. Scene, you, you go, listen, scene, listen, listen. When you go out there and you start telling me Seinfeld still lives up to today, you're wrong. That, the, uh, I that, but everybody, that. I, I know you're doing so does like a billion people. Same thing with The Godfather. You're just spewing what all those people say, and it's just wrong in both examples. It, 
Well, no, I think uh, aside from the phantom punch of James Caan missing uh, Johnny well, Russo when they had that fight in the show, yeah. aside yeah. from that, yeah. it is a perfect film. Aside from that oh, one moment, it, it is fine. a perfect film. It's a great movie. It's one of my five favorites. I think Goodfellas is better. Anyway, it doesn't right. matter. I want to get to the, because you're right about The Sopranos. I think it is the best work, certainly on uh, television. They tried, uh, you know, the next one they said was going to be the next great hit, the next great thing close to The Sopranos was going to be uh, Empire Boardwalk, Steve Buscemi's work. Boardwalk My wife Empire. loved that. Yeah, whatever it was. I couldn't stand yeah. it. I couldn't stand it. I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't a very, very big fan. And to this day, you talk about dramas, whether it's cable or regular TV. Let's go to regular TV. Is there anything you can watch on network television outside of Blue Bloods that you consider a good drama show? Outside of you know, Blue I, Bloods. I, I don't. I don't watch one. I don't think I watch one drama on uh, broadcast network television. I don't watch one. Wow. That tells you all you need to know. All right. Well, yeah, five right. days away from Iowa, uh, the big caucus, Trump spent all day in a courtroom yesterday talking about immunity. And, you know, that judge, she's obviously not a very, very big fan. And we'll get to that afterwards. But the um, the contention on this show, the consensus, really, starting with Bill O'Reilly, is is that Trump, and he's right, will destroy everybody in Iowa. Haley won't come close there. She'll make it a run in New Hampshire. At that point, Ron DeSantis will quit. I'm out of here. Doesn't have the money, can't win. Haley will stick around, do well in New Hampshire. Not win, but but do well before she leaves probably after South Carolina. What do you see happening on Monday in Iowa and then not long after? Well, look, uh, I think everyone agrees that uh, Trump is going to win uh, by a pretty overwhelming margin in Iowa. But part of the problem for Trump is that the expectations for him are so high. So if he wins with, say, left less than 50 percent of the vote, if he wins with 48 percent of the vote, even if he uh, bests DeSantis or Haley, whomever finishes second by 25 or 30 points, everyone's going to be saying, oh, you see, a majority of Republicans are willing to vote for someone other than Trump. And if they'd all coalesce around one candidate, that's going to put a little wind in their sail. So I think Trump, um, while it's weird to say this for somebody that has such a big lead, I think he's got a lot of pressure on him to go over that 50% number. If DeSantis doesn't finish second in Iowa, I would agree with you. I think he's done. Uh, I think uh, Haley, even if she if finishes third in Iowa, she seems to be banking everything on uh, New Hampshire. I think she survives to New Hampshire regardless. Uh, I don't see... And it's ironic because it's her home state. I don't see any way uh, Haley, even with all her money, even with all the so-called momentum, any way she gets past South Carolina. Now, no. the thing that's boding well for her in New Hampshire is you have uh, no, not a really competitive Democratic primary. Biden's not even on the ballot. So you have a lot of Democrats strategically making the decision to vote for Haley in the Republican primary because Haley, especially on foreign policy, is really just a continuation of Biden. The digital dollar could give the feds control of your money. Get the digital dollar report. Call 1-800-862-6970 and also receive a $1,000 credit from Priority Gold to protect your money. Or just go to digitaldollarreport.com. Please note, the information provided does not constitute financial or investment advice. Tell me about these lockdown drills in New York. You're upset about this. And I think for folks that are not aware of this, and I admit I wasn't all that aware of it myself. I think when they hear about this, they're going to be upset, too. What about these lockdown drills, Frank Morano, here in New York? 
Well, I think everybody, and uh, you're a father, I'm a father, relatively new father of only a two-year-old. He's not in you know, elementary school yet. Everybody recognizes the need for safety drills. You did, uh, you did fire drills. I did fire drills and shelter drills. A lot of people in the audience may even remember, um, you know, if they were around during the Cuban Missile Crisis, bomb drills. I'm not sure what duck and cover would have done in the event of nuclear fallout, but yeah. it was what it was. By the way, talk, it, to the, since, talk, to, talk to the people right now in Israel who do those every Every 15 minutes, every day since October the 7th. Well, so, and I think there's a lot of value to these, uh, to these lockdown drills. We saw in Uvalde, Texas, even though the cops screwed up, uh, the, uh, the teachers and the students knew exactly what to do and how to handle it. But since 2016, New York has had a, had a, a mandate mandating four lockdown drills per year and eight fire drills a year. Now, I, I think this is way too many and there's actually legislation that's been introduced by uh, State Senator Andrew Guadardis to reduce this uh, from four to one and allow parents to have their children opt out. I think what you're seeing here in schools is a whole generation of kids for the last five, six years who aren't well prepared. They're just terrified. Yeah. They're terrified yep. that perpetually every day a shooter is going to come into their school and shoot up the place. I don't know that four lockdown drills a year, most of which have to take place between September 1st and September December 31st. I don't know that that prepares them much better than one or maybe two. I think this is uh, this is an area where New York is an outlier. And even the New York Daily News editorial page, which I don't generally agree with, they've attacked me. Um, they they've even said that this is overkill. You know, talking about uh, guns and shooting and schools and schoolyards. I mentioned uh, tonight I'll be at the Hunt and Fish Club, a uh, big dinner for uh, Jen and the mayor will be there. Mayor Adams and uh, Adams has told a story. <laughs> Recently, <laughs> about shooting a gun in a schoolyard. I know you love this story, Frankie. Take it away. Yeah, I mean, this is crazy. So if people haven't heard this, so the mayor wrote a book. The book, you can buy it on Amazon. He published it. It's called Don't Let It Happen. The author of the book is Eric Adams. And he tells this very dramatic story about when he was a young person, he pointed what he thought was a toy gun at his group of friends, and he pulled the trigger. And around discharged. It was a real gun, not a toy gun. And he says in the book, only by the grace of God and my poor aim did the bullet miss my friend. I mean, the the, incident... the, the, this could have very well been for Mayor oh, Eric sure. Adams and Alec Baldwin situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right? The incident right? scared me so much that I dropped the gun and ran. Now, that's a life-changing experience. Well, according to the mayor at a press conference at the only weekly off-topic press conference he allows, it didn't happen. Now, what this story, which he puts in his book, he says it didn't happen. His explanation is, oh, the ghostwriter for the book, who we didn't even know there was a ghostwriter until this week. The ghostwriter for the book misunderstood the story. I never fired a gun. And that's why the book wasn't in print. The book is in print. The book, the mayor was shown a copy of the book on Monday. Uh, you can go out on Amazon and buy this book right now. And yet the mayor is blaming it on this anonymous, unnamed ghostwriter who we still don't know. I'd like to know what other stories are in that book that the mayor is claiming happened <laughs> that didn't happen oh that Who is, is funny. this ghostwriter yeah i'm sure there's tons of them hey about 60 seconds to go frank i think you're the only person maybe outside of michael goodwin that paid attention to this the governor it's a big deal the governor a couple of days ago had her annual state of the state but i despise her so much 
I literally hate Kathy Hochul. I can't watch her on TV. Can't watch her. Same thing with Joe Biden and a host of others. Anything come out of that state of the state that New Yorkers can feel good about moving forward? Well, look, I think the three things that she mentioned, well, really the two things that she mentioned that uh, folks can feel good about are, one, um, you know, she at least acknowledged that there is a crime problem, especially when it comes to shoplifting. And uh, she acknowledged there's a problem with how we're dealing with mental health in this state and uh, and more broadly in the city. But the, to me, the, and this was just yesterday afternoon, the most notable thing that came out of this was what she didn't mention in this whole lengthy speech. She didn't even mention the migrant crisis, this migrant crisis, which is which is uh, bankrupting New York City, which is costing five percent budget cuts across the board, everything from education to policing. She doesn't even mention it. How does the most pressing issue in the state and the city right now not even get a mention? Not even. I mean, at least, you know, placate me a little bit, at least say. (laughs) And we're aware of the migrant crisis that's costing New York City uh, millions of dollars a week and we're going to do something about it even if you're not going to do something about it at least pretend that you are aware this is a problem i've never seen a state of the state that showed a governor this out to lunch on the fundamental issue facing the state right now that is a great job frank morano folks that's why he gets big ratings and he's a man check him out one to five a.m every weekday morning here the show is called the other side of midnight also does a great podcast a dear friend of mine the great Frank Morano. Frank, that was great, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sid. Real quick, favorite Sopranos episode. What's yours? What, what do well, you I mean, everybody it? goes to the same one with the Pine Barrens, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, that was a, was a, that was a great episode. I'm going to go with the episode where Tony, with his bare hands, kills, uh, Ralphie, kills him, oh, and ends yeah. up chopping him up in the bathtub because there was a time there after they uh, they killed the horse where I really started to hate Ralphie. And uh, by the way, in real life, the whole cast hates that guy. But uh, I think that's going to be uh, right there at the top of the list with the Pine Barrens. And also, I hate to say it, where my friend Stephen Van Zant, who was very, very uncomfortable doing it, had to kill Dre DiMatteo. So uncomfortable, uh, they never yeah. showed him kill her. She's just crawling outside the car, and they go to the next scene. Any one of those works for me. I, I, you can't go wrong with uh, any of those. I also like White Caps, uh, with that episode. I think it was a season finale, uh, where, you know, Tony and Carmela are all that tension between the two of them and, yeah. uh, Carmela throws Tony out of the house yeah. after discovering the affair. I thought that was a good blend of the personal family drama and the mob drama. But, uh, really, it, I mean, even the bad episodes are good when it comes to the <laughs> It's surprise. true. You're right. Kind of like this show. Even the bad ones are good. Hey, uh, talking about terrific blend. That was just now a terrific blend. Thanks again, Frank. We'll be listening Thank at you, one Sid. o'clock. All right, buddy. There he is, Frank Morano, the host of The Other Side of Midnight. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.